With a word of caution about toying with disobeying God's clear commands, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. It's easy to be deceived and self-deceived in this area of our lives because we tend to think that we're stronger than we really are. And we think we have more strength against the onslaught of temptation and evil influences, so we tend to take our chances instead of being patient in the Holy Spirit. And more influence by the world and its system will take its toll. It will take its toll on what you watch and what you listen to, what you present yourself to, who you hang out with. It will take its toll. This is amazing grace. For fear of being alone or missing out on some fun, too many will put themselves at great risk of harm, not recognizing the subtle yet bad influence they put themselves under. It's an all too common problem, but it can be avoided. We'll learn how today on Abounding Grace with Ed Taylor. Welcome, glad you're with us. In 2 Kings chapter eight, there was a king who not wanting to miss out, disobeyed the clear command of scripture. That is certainly an example we can learn a great deal from in what not to do. To tell us about it, here is Pastor Ed Taylor. We're not God. God's given us direction for our lives. He's revealed to us what's good for us and what's not good for us. And he doesn't want us living in some legalistic, crazy way of just rules and regulations. He wants us living in wisdom, in relationship with him. Now, notice, now in the fifth year, in verse 16, of Joram, the son of Ahab, the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, having been king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, began to reign as the king of Judah. He was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done. For the daughter of Ahab was his wife. Woe! The daughter of Ahab was his wife, which most likely means her mom was named so she, this dude hooked up with Jezebel's daughter. And I wonder what Ahab and Jezebel produced <laughs> in their home. You're going to find out in a moment. He says that he married the daughter of Ahab, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, verse 19. Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for the sake of his servant David, as he promised him a lamp to him and his sons forever. In his days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority and made a king over themselves. So Joram went to Zair and all his chariots with him, and he rose by night and attacked the Edomites who had surrounded him and the captains of the chariots, but his people fled to the tents. Thus Edom has been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day, and Libna revolted at that time. Now the rest of the acts of Joram and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Joram rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. So Jehoram, or, you know, sometimes he's referred to as Jehoram and gets confusing at times. You just got to jot a note down when their names are mentioned. But he's a disaster as a spiritual leader. 
He brought sin and apostasy and more evil into the nation of Israel as he followed Ahab's leadership and example. Now, of course, the main reason that he's given here cannot be overlooked. And the main reason that God wants us to see here is that he married the daughter of Ahab. He married the daughter of Ahab. This is something that the Bible calls, if you're taking notes, you should jot it down, especially if you're single. This is the Bible calls unequally yoked. It's actually something that God warns against and forbids. You can jot it down in 2 Corinthians. Why don't we just turn there just to get the concept uh, from the New Testament. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. We have looked at this in depth when we went through 2 Corinthians, so I'm not going to do a complete full study on it, but I do want to touch on this because Joram's, his total failure was directly related to who he married. And he married willingly. Now remember, because I know some of you listening in are unequally yoked because when you got married, you were both unbelievers. And along the way, you got saved and your spouse hasn't got saved. And don't forget this word. Don't ever stop using this word. Always, whenever you're talking about your spouse, whenever you're praying about your unsaved spouse, don't ever neglect using this word. They aren't saved yet. Trusting God for their lives. Not saved yet. That's not here. He willingly walked into being unequally yoked. This is willing, had the choice, and made it anyway. So notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. O Corinthians, we've spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you're restricted by your own affections. He's saying, what I'm about to share with you, it's not, we're not laying some trip on you. You're laying a trip on yourself by your sinful affections. Now in return for the same, I'm going to speak to children, but you also be open. And verse 14 couldn't be more clearer in the English language. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So let's just take a little quiz, because I like to pop a quiz on you every once in a while. Is it ever okay to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever? No. If anyone answered yes, this was a pass or fail. So no ABC. It was either A or F. This is just one of those places that couldn't be more crystal clear. But you know what happens? What happens is impatience and emotions and justification. And the Bible says, don't do it. And he gives the reason. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? And what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I'll dwell in them and I'll walk among them. I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them, saith the Lord. Be separate. Don't touch what's unclean. I'll be a dad to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Whether it's a spiritually based, unequally yoked relationship or practically based, being unequally yoked together with unbelievers is sinful, it's hurtful, and can make your life so much more difficult than it is right now. You think your life is difficult now? Disobey this command and it'll get worse. We can be unequally yoked in marriage, in business, 
in partnerships, sometimes even in friendships. Evil company corrupts good habits and how careful we need to be. This isn't a prohibition against having friends that aren't saved at all. We should have a, a wide variety of people in our lives that we work with, that we interact with, that we are the salt and light of the earth. We're not, this isn't a prohibition to not have relationships outside the body of Christ. Of course, how will anyone hear of the gospel if you don't connect with them? That's not what he's saying here. He, he's speaking of a relationship where you connect and you yoke together. It's a word that's used of a, a wooden contraption that was used to bring two animals together so they could work together in the fields. And you would want to equally yoke the animals. If you were putting an ox on one side of the circle, then you would want an ox on the other side of the same size and temperament. You wouldn't want a big, strong ox on the left side and some puny little one on the right side because that would be unequally yoked. You wouldn't want to put a donkey on one side and have him go this way and then an ox on the other side go that way. You want to be equally yoked where you're moving in the same direction with the same love. And, and when it comes to our relationship with God, the same love of God. It's easy to be deceived and self-deceived in this area of our lives because we tend to think that we're stronger than we really are. And we think we have more strength against the onslaught of temptation and evil influences, so we tend to take our chances instead of being patient in the Holy Spirit. And more influence by the world and its system will take its toll. It will take its toll on what you watch and what you listen to, what you present yourself to, who you hang out with. It will take its toll. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, it says, Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. So just to those that are single today, as a pastor, representing the most high, holy, and righteous God, as a fellow believer, as a friend, and just someone that's walking the walk with Jesus with you, single man, single woman, do not marry an unbeliever. That is the word of the Lord for you. And for you listening to me right now, you have been duly warned by the word of God. Don't marry an unbeliever. Marriage is not a missionary endeavor. Where, Ed, don't worry about it. God's put me in this life because, but through me, I'm going to save him. You say, Ed, the vision of the church is when disciples sinned, and I think God sent me into their life. He may have sent you into their life, but not to marry them as an unbeliever. And this is where all the justifications come in, all the reasonings, and it's like, oh, Ed, man, like, like if, if I limit my chances to just believers, I don't know, there's not many out there. And we find all these reasons. I would even say this. I see this much more with ladies. That's why I'm going to emphasize it with you ladies. But men, you can also take it to heart. But especially you women. Having a daughter myself. Don't you Christian ladies marry some wishy-washy nominal man that says he walks with Jesus, but he really doesn't. Where you're the lead in the relationship where you're the one that talks about spiritual things, where you're the one that convinces him, and finally, in your relationship, you finally get him to come to church, and you think that is the best thing that's ever happened in this world. It might be the best thing that ever happened in that guy's world, 
but you are deceived. You don't need a wishy-washy guy where you lead. You need a man of God that will lead you and be the spiritual, biblical covering in your life that will lead you to the Lord. Because the Bible says that you, ladies, are the weaker vessel. Now, don't be offended at what the Bible says because God is not speaking like the world says, like you're somehow less than a man, that you're somehow not as important as men or not as smart. That is not in any way what God says. He is recognizing and revealing to us his order. And so while I've spoken to the ladies, men, you are the spiritual head of your home, of any relationship, and you must continue to be the godly, strong leader that God has made you. And so if you're a wishy-washy guy right now, stop it. That's my counsel to you. Stop it. <laughs> Rise up, man, and be the man that God wants you to be. Be the godly man that God wants you to be. Be the one that God has made you. You say, oh, you don't understand, Ed. You don't understand. Even if I don't understand, I don't need to understand your situation in order to know what the Bible says. That's just another excuse, isn't it? Well, Ed, you just don't know my situation. You don't know how I feel. You don't know. Who cares what I know? What does the Bible say? I don't have to know every situation of every person I've ever met in my whole entire life in order to give you counsel what the Bible says. Because the Bible is written by the God who knows you. And so you go, oh God, you don't understand. And you can hear God go, I don't understand. I know more about you than you know yourself. If you'll just turn to me and call upon me, he says, Jeremiah 33, I'll answer you, says the Lord. And so what's the downfall of this king? He married Ahab's daughter. And isn't that what happened with Solomon? Many years prior, King Solomon, you know, he made a few mistakes. <laughs> First of all, he married many wives. And it was the cultural norm of the day. It was what a king did to make treaties with other nations. But God said, don't do it. And what's the end result of Solomon? It says his wives turned his heart away from the Lord. That's just the way it is. Don't do it. You hold out for that godly man and that godly woman, someone that's on fire, loves God. You can't just dismiss this truth without its consequences affecting you. It was the great teacher Henry Ironside that said this, and I quote, if you're a child of God and marry a child of the devil, you are sure to have trouble with your father-in-law. <laughs> Do I need to read that a second time? <laughs> if you're a child of God and marry a child of the devil, you're going to have trouble with your father-in-law because you've given him a foothold in your life. That's just the way it is. That's a guarantee. If you're a believer and you marry an unbeliever, you're opening the door to all sorts of troubles, disagreements, and difficulties. And if you doubt me, I say this every time this topic comes up, if you doubt me, I know a few relationships in the church that are unequally yoked because they were married as unbelievers and one got saved. And I'm sure if you don't think the word of God's convinced you or that my exhortation has convinced you, they'll talk to you and just give you a day of their life or maybe a week of their life and would stir up in you a holy fear 
that while you're on this side, as a believer, that you obey God. He's a total failure, and certainly marrying Ahab's daughter was not a help to him. Let's close up in verse 25. In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, the king of Israel, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri, the king of Israel. And he walked in the way of the house of Ahab, did evil in the sight of the Lord, as the house of Ahab had done. He was the son-in-law of the house of Ahab. Now he went with Joram, the son of Ahab, to war against Haziel, the king of Syria, at Ramoth-Gilead, and the Syrians wounded Joram. And King Joram went back to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which the Syrians had inflicted on him at Ramah when he fought against Haziel, king of Syria. And Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel because he was sick. Ahab too had two sons, Ahaziah and Jehoram, who were hor- both horrible kings. Jehoshaphat had a son and grandson named Jehoram and Ahaziah, who were also kings reigning over the people. So Joram, the king of Israel, and Ahaziah, the king of Judah, joined together to fight this new Syrian king, which will lead us into chapter 9, as we get to next time. But one thing we can't miss, and we can't overlook, is God's continual faithfulness to his people, even in their rebellion and sin, which so encouraged me, uh, as, I, as we were instructed by Pastor Keegan today on our prayer points, to just remember the faithfulness of God. Remember an instance of the faithfulness of God. Because in our Bible study today, we're reminded of God's faithfulness. We, we must never forget that while all chaos and craziness is happening, that God is still on his throne, judging sin and fulfilling his word. And no matter what occurs in history, God is in control. He knows all things. He can do all things. He's present everywhere. He's working out his will. He's a holy God that is long-suffering with sinners, but eventually brings judgment on those who disobey him. Don't ever mistake the patience of God with the approval of God when it comes to sin. Don't ever think because something didn't, you didn't experience the judgment right away that God is okay with what you're doing. He's not. What's true in the past is true in the present. And no matter what occurs in our lives, God is in control. We can trust him. He knows all things, can do all things. He's present everywhere and is working out his will in our lives. He's a holy God who's long-suffering with you and with me, but eventually will bring judgment into our lives through the consequences of our sinful decisions if we choose to disobey him. And that's really the thing that we keep reading with the kings. He's so faithful. Anyone that will turn to him, he'll meet him there. Anyone. Why? Because he loves his people. You think, why wouldn't he just take out these kings? Well, he loves his people. He loves his people that God will continue to lead and guide those that turn to him. And even if you turn away from him, as we will finish up this weekend, our final, I added one more study to our series on backsliding. As we finish up, he will be patient and receive you when you return. He will be patient and receive you. The question is this, in what kind of bad shape will you be when you return? He'll receive you. Even if you're beaten up and bloodied and bruised, he'll receive you. You know, on my flight back, 
recently from Thailand. You know, Thailand's known for their jujitsu stuff. So there was definitely a dude sitting right behind me that was doing some jujitsu, or actually somebody was doing some jujitsu on him. And he was all beat up and banged up, you know, sitting in the seat right behind me. And it just reminded me, man, you and I will get really beat up and banged up by the jujitsu of sin. It will just kick your tail. You think you can, and sin is like, and it just, boom, and he was all jacked up. You know, you know how we, your, your ears get when you just get bam, bam, pummeled on your ears? He had this big old, and he was a big dude, so I still wouldn't mess with him. I didn't turn around and go, dude, who jacked you up? I just made observations while he was sleeping. All right, he, was, he slept most of the flight. I was just like, well, I just remember, th- I, just, I didn't know I was going to use that tonight, but just thinking, I remember registering, this dude got jacked up. And he's pretty strong, so somebody must have been much more stronger than him to use their juju on him, whatever, whatever you do. So that's real popular there. And, and isn't it true? We all bear the scars of our stupid, sinful decisions. And yet, like this brother, this guy that was sitting behind me, we get stitched up, we get bandaged up, eventually what we get healed up, and then we get back into the fight that we should be in. We don't wrestle against flesh or blood but against principalities and powers, against those things that rage against our minds, that our battle isn't with one another physically. It's in the spiritual realm, spiritually. Uh, The demonic realm, the things that rise itself against the knowledge of God, that God would do that work in us so we don't mess around, we don't jump into the ring with sin. We'll kick our tail every time. You are no match for sin, so don't get in the ring with it, but avoid it in the fear of the Lord. And remember, if you've sinned, turn to the Lord in faith and repentance. He will be gracious to forgive and restore. Thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We've been in 2 Kings chapter 8. Well, Pastor Ed, I think we all know people who are disobeying the clear commands of Scripture, and it breaks our hearts. How can we be of some help to them? This is a tricky question, isn't it? Because the people that are, all of you that are listening have different situations. This is definitely one of those questions that is not, and I repeat, it is not a one-size-fits-all answer. So much of our Bible questions and things are not one-size-fits-all. But let me say some things that are general, uh, that do apply. Number one, proximity is important. Stay in their lives. Stay close to them. Proximity is important. Number two, truth is important. Be sure to be a man or a woman that speaks truth into the lives of those that are closest to us that are breaking our hearts through direct disobedience, proximity, and truth. And all of that, the banner, if you want to put an umbrella over that, there's a significance in walking in the agape love of God his self-sacrificial, loving care for those that you love. Now, I know you do love them, and I, or your heart wouldn't be breaking, for sure. The reality is, though, that it needs to be demonstrated, uh, and it's important that you do demonstrate that love so that they know just how much you do love them and how much you do care uh, that you would be able to step into their lives in a very difficult situation. Bless you guys. Thanks for those words of wisdom. 
You can hear this message again when you visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or hear Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play to download that today. Still looking for a stocking stuffer or a meaningful gift for that special someone in your life? I'd like to suggest our resource of the month, a book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christmas. Taking the approach of a journalist, Lee Strobel searches out the true identity of the child in the manger. He consults experts on the Bible, archaeology, and messianic prophecy. We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. And you can place a resource request when you call toll-free 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order resources like this at calvaryco.store. Calvaryco.store. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through your generous support. And as the year comes to an end, this would be a wonderful time to hear from you. Help us finish the year strong. To make a donation to the ministry, you can do that online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And thank you again for helping us reach out through the radio with the gospel and truth of Jesus Christ. We'll get back into 2 Kings next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.